0: an introduction to Padmanabhaswamy. If you haven't been listening to him, his classes, then I gave you a little hint in your your invitation. But I just wanted to say um, thank you, Maharaj, for being with us and joining us at Nambhadhan Ashram. And um, I had the good fortune of meeting Padmanabhaswamy in 2017 you know how sometimes we get these fortunate events in our lives where we meet someone who's a like-minded kindred spirit who um, is, you know, shares some of the same values and appreciation and um, also a deep attachment to bhakti and the practice. And um, one thing about Pandanamaswamy, maybe you know, but part of his name is Bhakti Pranaya. And I don't know the exact translation of that, but to me it says Pranaya means it's a type of love in prema, it's an advanced stage of love. And of course, bhakti. And I think it's an appropriate name for him because of his attachment for the practices of bhakti and he shares um, in his personal dealings and his classes, boy, a real um, taste for Krishna consciousness. And when we're in the association of someone who's actually experiencing a taste in Krishna consciousness, we it's transferred to us and it's uplifting. So I'm grateful to Krishna brought. Padmanabha Swami into my life, and I want to share my happiness with all of you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, I think that he has got some um, vision and um, inspiration to share, and especially I was trying to invite some of the younger generation, because you're the future um, of bhakti, and I think that Padmanabha Swami may offer something to you in in your path and in your journey and in helping us progress in Krishna consciousness Hari, and Tamini, Welcome. So um thank you Padmanabha Swami for being here and we will love to hear something from you. <coughs>
1: Om Ajahnat Mirandasya Janam Janashalakya Chakshinam Militam Yenitasme Shri Gurave Namah Namashrivshtam Anumatisachipotram Atrasadopam Rupam Tasyagrajam Rupurim Madhariṃ Gostavatim Radha Kundam Gidiparam Maho Radhikmatavasam Raptuyasha pratita gripaya shri gurum tamnatasne. One chakal patarugyasha kripa sindhu gay vacha. Patitanum pavane gyu. Vaishnabe vyanamonama. Ni moli ratna maladiti. Nira jita padapankajanta. Haji mukta kule Paritas from Harinam Santrayami Nare Pitachirim Chidat Karunayavatirunakalam Shamar Paitamanatos Balarasam Subhakti Hari Purata Sundara Dutikadam Basundi Pitaha Sadaridae Kandares Purato Chinandana Janulambita, Budjo, Kanaka, Vadatu, Sankirtanai, Kabitaro, Kamalaya, Takshu, Bishwambaro, Di Javaro, Jugadharmapal, Mandi, Jagat Priyakaro, Karunabataro, Ladini Shakti, Sadupai, Gorangasur, Ridayacha, Bhakta Shakti, Brother Nai, Kada, the E Krishna Karuna Sindhudina Vandho Jagatpati Gopi Kantaradha Kantanamastati Radhe Brindavanadi Shi Kadunamrita Vahini Kripayani Jupadabja Dasyan Mayam Pradiyatam Bhaktiya Bihina Aparadh Lakshai Kipta Stakamadhi Creepam, my twam, Prapanam. Brinde must stay, Chedanada Bindam. Brinde must stay, Chedanada Bindam. Shiman Mahapruki, Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki, Jai, Tilapropa ki, Jai, Gor Bhaktavindi ki, Jai, Gor Pramanam, the Hari, Hari Bho. <coughs> so. Pranam to all of you, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, good evening and more than welcome today and thank you so much for your presence, for your attention. It's an it's an honor for me to be in the assembly of each one of you and I pray to be able to deliver a few words with integrity, transparency that may represent the spirit of our tradition, the spirit of any sincere Seeker truth. That's basically what we are doing here in this fancy Hygar seat, (laughs) trying to continue serving each other. And I appreciate your presence here because without you over there, I wouldn't be able to try to render this service over here. So I depend on you for me to be able to serve. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much to Pranada. for her undeserved generosity. And toward me, in, in her words, thank you so much, of course, for inviting us here, Pranada, Nagaraj Prabhu. And thank you so much for your words. Uh, Pranada has been very kind to me during all these years that I've met her. As she very nicely said, kindred spirit. So I, I claim that label from my side horse her as well. And as you know, she she was kind enough even to dare to write a foreword to my book. So that's pretty courageous from her side to be in a foreword of the book of Swami Padmana. (laughs) (laughs) So I appreciate her her willingness to do that. And and again, undeserved words present there. So some of you may know, um, during this last visit in Elad, I've been sharing a few words from different angles in connection to a book I just recently published called Radical Personalism. And today we will be talking about one of the different ways of approaching this, this concept. And The title of today's lecture is How Much Is There a Limit to How Much of a Personalist We Can Become? So I imagine all of you are relatively familiar with the Bhakti tradition, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm fortunate, I'm just starting to, to glimpse at what the Bhakti tradition is, so I will get lots of advantage in your association. <laughs> so of course I could re- I could make the shortest class in the history of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and reply to the title of the lecture, is there a limit to how much of a person as we can become? And my replace no, and that's the end of the class, but I'll try to elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh, and with that, I, I will try to, to start speaking about what is radical personalism. Pranada shared with me a few points that she would like me to share with you today. So I will begin with that. And I was thinking there, I was waiting in one room Meanwhile, you start coming. <clears throat> and think, okay, let's see how, in which direction we can start to talk and in, in the room. I, I took a little give with your permission. I found this, another
2: <laughs>
1: How do you call this, Matrushka? Matrushka,
2: right.
1: Yes? yes, something like that. So you may know what this is about. For those who don't know, you open here. Oh, there is something else. So when you felt it's enough, you open here. And there is something else. And you say, OK, there is a limit to how this can continue going on. Now there is no limit. So you continue extracting. Some further essence, and I'm making a mess here <laughs> <laughs> in this, and so on and so forth. No, I mean I won't continue, but you will reach a point of of getting to the very essence of what this matrushka is about. So for me that was okay. That, let's begin the lecture from that perspective, no, using a little bit of pedagogy. Pedagogy, see? pedagogical pedagogic yeah. approach. So this kind of A reply to the title of today's lecture. Is there a limit to how much of a personalist we can become? No, we can continue peeling layers and layers, so to say, extracting, getting more and more to our own essence, our own potential, and there is no limits. We we are not like an onion that you peel, 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 and suddenly there is nothing. That's why we don't eat onion. (laughs) (laughs) That's the ultimate philosophical reason, because you peel, 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 and the ultimate result is nothingness. So that's not our tradition, basically. The more we we peel ourselves, the more we get devoid of <clears throat> unnecessary layers, the more we find there. The scripture says So The more we become <clears throat> free from all limiting designations, the more of a person we can become. We are persons, we are individuals, but again, how much of a person we are, we are individual, how much of an individual we are, we are personalists, but how much of a personalist we are, and how much sometimes in the name of personalism, we end up being quite impersonal, that can happen. In theory, I can say, I believe in God, and that's, that's great, but we have to act out our beliefs. If I say I believe in God, but if I live like like if God is not existing, how much do I actually believe in in God? How much weight is there in those words? So that's what's called sometimes functional atheism. Mm -hmm. Like in words, I say something theistic, but in function, in practice, I behave in another direction. So it is very possible that any of us, and I include myself in the equation first in the list here, I can claim I'm a personalist. I worship Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, supreme personality of Godhead, very personalized conception, but there's every chance that that hyper ultra personalized notion is represented in a quite impersonal way. And that's not the idea. I will say some of the negative impetus for me to write this book was to witness sometimes a considerable degree of impersonalism <clears throat> in our personalist tradition, and in personalism in terms, of course, not that we will be saying uh, I'm Brahmashmi, I'm one with Brahman or things like this, but sometimes we don't relate to Krishna as if he is a real person. Sometimes we not, do not relate to ourselves as if we are actual persons. We don't fully address all the dimensions of our existence as individuals, human dimension, and so on and so forth. Sometimes we not we do not relate to each other as persons, as individuals, so that can be another form of impersonalism. So radical personalism, by contrast, is a kind of a reply to the impersonalism that sometimes can express itself in the name of personalism. And I will clarify one more time, when I say radical, that's nothing to be afraid of, At least in this case, no. Radical means something to the very root, to the very radix. Radix means in Latin, root. So we are personalists to the core. Hmm. As I said before, we worship Krishna who, in the words of Srila Prabhupada, is the supreme personality of Godhead. So he's not only God, he's not the supreme God. He's the supreme personality of God. It's all about personalism, personality, personalization. <laughs> so if we are worshiping such a hyper-personalized form of God, we are expected to reflect that same level of personalism mm-hmm. in our dealings, in how we relate to him, in how we relate to each other, mm-hmm. and so on. Because if not, we can just proclaim we are personalists, but well, we are individuals, all of us are individuals, but for example, the scriptures will use a term such as Atmaha, for example. Atmaha means what? The is so... Killer of the soul. So, of course, technically speaking, you cannot kill the soul. But the Shastra is using that term to indicate you can still be a soul, but you are being so little... You're expressing so little of all that you can be as a soul that, sorry, but we will label you as Atmaha. With or without your permission, Atmaha. <laughs> you are still a soul, but you are not extracting the full potential of soulness, so to say, soulhood, all that can be, all that we can be. So that's a very important question, who we are, or what's all that we can be. Mm-hmm. Because also in personalism... Well, another way of speaking about impersonalism is I'm a person, but I'm not I'm not all, all of the person that I could be. You follow my point? I'm an individual, but I could be individual on this level. And I have the potential of, of getting there, but somehow I'm not doing that. So that's another variety of impersonalism. So it's important for us to embrace our personhood to embrace who we are as people. And to understand Krishna wants us as who we are as person. He's interested in us as a person. No, it's not that you go to Krishna and, and... Of course, there's one level of surrender. We were talking the other day with Jai Jagannath and other friends. There's a level of surrender. You will say, Krishna, whatever you want, I do. I don't have a personal opinion. But on another level, Krishna will want to know, what do you want? And if you tell him, I want what you want, Krishna will say, no, no, no. that's a tricky answer, what you want, I want to see your initiative, I want to see your, uh, how do you say, it? your, um, there's one word that is not coming with A, agency, your agency expressing itself, well, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Like when Trinamad Bhagavatam and Rupa Goswami mentions the same thing, he says, Krishna says, "You can offer to me whatever is favorite to me, and you can offer to me whatever is favorite to you." So Krishna, also, but I would like to know what's favorite to you. Do you have any personal inclination? Well, there is no personal inclination whatsoever. So Krishna wants to see our personhood, like flourishing to its maximum degree. Now, you you, you can imagine that. In the, in the highest realm of lila, in the highest realm of the loving interaction with Bhagavan, everything is fully spontaneous. No? Everything, the, the, Each one's individuality is expressed in a very organic way. It's not that, Krishna, whatever you want, I will do it. In Vrindavan, that doesn't happen like that. It doesn't work like that. Everybody has their own initiative, and their own feeling, for and, and their own alignment with Krishna's heart, so they know they anticipate what will give pleasure to and they will offer their own taste for that. It's not that, I don't know, Krishna is with the gopis, as I was saying the other day. He will tell them at some point of the lila, do you know what, Sri Rada, I think that at this moment you should show angry to me, so that will enhance the experience of rasa. I think that will be favorable to me. That, that doesn't happen. Krishna is not, doesn't need to give even any hint at that spontaneously they will offer their own, again, individuality for the pleasure of Bhagavan. So that's a big service we have to, to do. We have to offer our personality to the service of Bhagavan. Of course, in the beginning of our practice, there's, there are different stages. In the beginning, we will be told what to do, do this, do this, don't, this, here the list of do's and don'ts, you follow that, you are saved, something like that. So that's it, I'm in, I'm legal, (laughs) I'm following the do's and don'ts. But after a few years, or hopefully less than that, (laughs) you'll start to feel, okay, that's okay, but I need something more, I need some, this is nuanced, this is not black and white, this is not just formulaic, this is not just do this and it has to work. There are so many things that I need to solve in between that. Like Srila Prabhupada told us, chant and be happy, and that's not a lie at all. But between the chant and the be happy, there is a parenthesis with a few thousand considerations to keep in mind (laughs) for you to reach the be happy end of the sentence. Because most of us cannot just chant and be happy. You need to do a few other stuff per day. Right? I don't think that you just chant and be happy and you do not have a family, you don't work, you don't study, you don't dream, you don't, just to do you need to do an, a, other type of things in order to chant and be happy and that's okay but that's part of the chant and be happy equation okay. so as, as the time passes as our life unfolds we realize, okay, spiritual journeys in one sense it's simple but it's not simplistic and, and real simplicity has to do also with Doing, knowing what to do with complexity, because life is full of complexity. You cannot just take the complexi- complexity and throw it in the, to the sh- in the shed and okay, close the door and I don't want to deal to, in- to harmonize, to integrate complexity. There, is, there comes a moment in our lives where we need to know how to accommodate the diverse, how to deal with the perplexity of life, with the ups and downs. With the problems, there will be problems just in case. So no, I'm giving you that. But if you just started Krishna consciousness last week, Jai, <laughs> all glories to your utsahamai, to your initial enthusiasm. But let's be realistic. There will be problems in life, and, and that's great. Again, problems are not a problem, so to say. So I'd like to say problems are not there to be solved, but problems are there to solve us many times. We are to be solved by what we perceive as a problem. So, for me, radical personalism, again, is another name for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, in few words, because we are personalists to the core, radically. In that sense, we worship not only the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, we worship Sriman Mahaprabhu, who is Sri Krishna wanting to taste the the very heart of his heart, the heart of Sri Radha, he goes into that deeper, deepest adventure mm. to know the, 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 the ultimate limits of his own heart. Sri is somehow the heart of Sri Krishna. Mm. So as Mahaprabhu, Krishna is exploring the, the bottomless ocean of his own heart, and of course that project has no limit. That's why Gaur-lila is also eternal. A Mahaprabhu is the deity of our sampradaya, as I like to say always. Mm. The day of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he is Krishna in his most radically personal moment. Again, Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. Mahaprabhu is the supreme personality of Krishna. If you want to put it like that. We have the Godhead, we have God, we have Narayan, we have Krishna as the supreme aspect of God, and we have Mahaprabhu as the supreme aspect of Krishna. And in each one of these facets, The divine is showing yet another layer of personalism. How much of a person we can be. How much of a person the divine wants us to be. Again, if we want to relate through love, love is the most personal of all types of exchanges. Divine love. You cannot get more personal than that. And if on the other side of the spectrum you have the supreme personality of Godhead, of Krishna, that's pretty personalized. Through divine love, so how much of a person we are expected to be? How much of a potential do we have to be a person? <clears throat> there is no limit to how much we can develop our individuality in service to Krishna. So, That's an important question to ask each of us every day, not as a neurosis, but just like a daily assessment of our progress. Where am I today as a person? Where where is my individuality today? How can I offer my individuality today to Bhagavan, to Krishna? Ultimately, that's what we can offer to him, us as individuals. Mm -hmm. Or how am I dealing with my relationships with each other, with other Vaishnavs, or with every other single living being? That's an important service also. Mm -hmm. Service is not only doing things, but also how we relate to each other. That's one of the main services you can offer to your Gurudev. Nice relationships. Mm Do you think that that doesn't take too much time and energy? (laughs) That's the most time consuming seva you can engage in. Mm -hmm. Of course it's easier to go and wash pots Mm -hmm. Or, or to do some other things, even to collect millions of dollars. It may be easier than to have deep humanly spiritual devotional deep relationships among the community with transparency, with integrity, uh, with all the beauty and messiness Mm -hmm. that relationships imply, which is again, part of life, it's okay. Mm -hmm. So as I like to say, Krishna is a very dynamic person. Krishna God in itself, in his very nature is constantly evolving and when I say evolving, I clarify this because some I've already said that in the past and there has been some misunderstanding. When I say Krishna is evolving, I'm not saying that he, he, he's less now and he becomes more, but at the same time, and, and I know it's difficult, don't try to grasp it between your ears, that may be a dangerous project. <laughs> but Krishna is perfect and complete, but at every single moment he becomes more perfect than complete. That's inconceivable, but that's Rupa Goswami describes Krishna in Dwarka as Purna, which means complete. Then he describes Krishna in Mathura as Purnatara, which means more complete. And then he describes Krishna in Vrindavan, Purnatama, the most complete. So he presents a gradation, always the word purna is there, just in case. He's always complete but his completeness is in constant unfolding. Mm. Chaitanya Charitamita says that, Krishna, every moment his beauty is increasing. Mm. That's the idea, of course. And as Krishna's beauty increases, the dedication of his devotees increases to serve that increased beauty. (laughs) And the more that dedication of the devotees increases, that makes Krishna more beautiful. It's like a circular situation, the devotees dedicate to Krishna more and more, Krishna becomes more and more beautiful by receiving more and more love. And the more love he receives, the more beautiful he becomes, and the more his devotees become invited to dedicate themselves more to him. And that has, and Krishna Das Khabarasko Swami says, the two of them are constantly increasing, Krishna's beauty and the devotees service this decision and the two of them enter into a competition where neither of those of the two accept defeat. <laughs> so it's a constant, eternal, sacred struggle, so to say. No? And nobody will accept defeat. Krishna will become every day more beautiful, and the devotees' loving disposition will increase every single day. That's how eternity works. And again, we want to enter into that world because that's the nature of love. The nature of love, is, it gives full satisfaction. and That's why Krishna is called, among other names, Atmaram, which means basically he who derives pleasure, Ram, from his own Atma, from his own self. Sometimes it's translated as self-satisfied. So Krishna is self-satisfied, Atmaram, but Bhakti Nautakur said, Due to the nature of love, which is always increasing, another name that Krishna receives is Pararam. And Pararam means he's difficult to translate, but basically means he's divinely dissatisfied. I mean he's fully satisfied, but the nature of love is always increasing. So that creates a form of dissatisfaction or a type of need, a need to love more. That's the nature of love. It seems contradictory. It gives full satisfaction, but it creates a new craving to love yet a little bit more. Not a little bit, a lot more. <laughs> and a lot more, and a lot more, at every single moment. So that's the, the divine paradox of love. It gives full satisfaction, and it creates a type of dissatisfaction that creates more love. And that's how the lila goes on eternally. And that's why it is never the same. Mm-hmm. Because imagine if you go to a place that it's always the same. It's problematic. We hear that Krishna executes his astakaliyalila, his eightfold daily pastimes. And if Krishna wouldn't be increasing his love at every moment, then we will see his schedule and we'll see, oh, for eternity, he will be doing exactly the same thing at every time. I mean, that's boring to death. I'm not going there. <laughs> tell me thing like that so you need to understand no no that's that's an external idea of what's going on at every period but that's not only what's going on in each period and on top of that internally there's always more love there's always more dedication mm-hmm. so the point is we are serving krishna <clears throat> an ever evolving god an ever evolving reality krishna consciousness something in Love implies constant ex- expansion. So, again, going back to the idea of radical personalism, how much limitation is how much we are willing to enter into that dynamic. Gradually, of course, it doesn't happen from, more, from one day to another, but how much we are willing to conceive reality, life, spiritual practice as something that is in constant unfolding, constant expansion without limit. Spiritual life is not something fixed, that is always the same, that doesn't require change, transformation, that's not spiritual life. Again, just in case, I'm clarifying, in case we didn't get that idea, I thought, okay, I'm coming to spiritual life to submit to a status quo, to be always the same, not change, not transformation. It doesn't work like that. Spiritual life is about change. It's about the willingness to change at every moment. Love is about constant change. If I love someone and being loved by someone, that love transforms me, makes me another person. I'm sure all of you have that experience, even without touching upon Krishna Prem, divine love, but some experience of love on this earth with some beloved child, partner, whatever, you become someone else by the influence, by the proximity, the intimacy of the loving personality. And more, many of us do not want to be transformed. That's the thing. So many of us change, fear change so much that we escape love. That, that's sometimes the unfortunate condition in this world. Love is the thing we need the most, but sometimes love is the thing that we fear the most. Because the implications of love is full transformation. But our goal is divine love, which means the highest form of transformation. So the question is how much we are willing to change, how much we are willing to, to acknowledge what needs to be changed, not only as individuals, but also as, as a society in our particular tradition, of Krishna consciousness, in our community. Sometimes there are things that need to be changed. And that's, there comes another point that I try to touch upon my book how to name and frame uh, problems that the society of devotees may be going through, like with any other society. Of course I make that clear, it's not that only our society has problems, every single society, group, family will experience some shortcomings. We should normalize that, we should normalize uh, failure, sometimes we traumatize failure, we should normalize it on some level. We should learn to coexist with that. So also, Prananda asked me to share a few words about how to name and frame the problems in our society to to root out the ills of it, but in a constructive spirit. Again, we are not here about just destructive criticism, but the art of constructive criticism. So how to begin to do that? Well, I would say at least first we should. Uh, give us permission to observe some things that may need to be changed Mm -hmm. there's place for pointing at certain things that can be improved and that's not apparat, basically (laughs) which is I know is a very heavy word that is very loaded historically to the point of being weaponized on many occasions just to prevent any type of critical thinking (laughs) or expression of one's individuality, that will be offensive. That will be offensive. Don't speak. Don't think. Don't feel. That will be offensive. And you get that message. Thinking is offensive. Feeling is offensive. Expressing is offensive. So the only thing that is not offensive is basically becoming... An automaton or something. <laughs> no voice, no heart, no mind. Which of course, that in itself is an offense to bhakti, <laughs> because I start to become an impersonalist <laughs> in the name of bhakti. So it's important that we understand that that's not an offense if we are. If the heart is in the right place, of course, if we have a. As Abraham Lincoln, I think he said, "He who has a heart to help uh has." I don't remember the exact quote. But he who has a heart to help has the right to, to critique or something like that. But again, constructive criticism. So we should be brave enough. Of course, I'm not saying every single person has to do this, but at least a few members in our tradition, in every single group of it, should be brave enough to criticize. Not, not the essence of the tradition, but certain current dynamics that may require upgrade, update, assessment, Mm -hmm. at least again to to allow for the conversation that there are things that may need change Mm -hmm. to open ourselves to the possibility of that necessity. Mm -hmm. If it's possible, I would like to share with you one paragraph from my book in this connection. So this comes in page 22. So let me see. Yes. Okay. With your permission or without it. (laughs) As with every other religion, the Gaudiya landscape presents us with many outstanding examples of genuine followers who were madly in love with their tradition, but who also criticized it considerably. Just take a minute to look at the different pictures on your Vaishnav altar. As you do, you will realize how each one of them, including Mahaprabhu himself, the lineage's very deity, were nonconformists to the core. However, critiquing one's own system is not a matter to take lightly. By reestablishing the very spirit of the ancient revealed law in noble but substantial ways, they stood in sharp tension with the climate of the times while providing fresh insight about how to belong to the tradition in deeper and deeper ways. Actual belonging is not something we can negotiate with external forces, but is a force in itself, a flame that we carry in our hearts. These spiritual revivalists loved their their traditions greatly, worshipping the potential and scope their path provided. Therefore, they could not but oppose each element which prevented their lineage from becoming all that it could be. Most notably, as part of their alternative orthodoxy, they shared their criticism while strongly embracing the very substance of their tradition. This is the art and gift of our predecessor teachers to all who are willing and able to learn from their example. <clears throat> so a few words in that connection. No? Many of our teachers, you name them, Prabhupada himself, Bhakti Saraswati, Suti Mahaprabhu himself, they presented very clear criticism to the present condition of the tradition at their particular times because they loved the tradition so much. Again, they were not thinking about blooping and leaving everything and I like, have to get some excuse to justify whatever I plan to do outside of the tradition. <laughs> we could say the more they criticized their tradition properly, the more in love they felt for their tradition. That's how you can measure if the, the critique is constructive, basically. Like, I mean, if you love someone, you will say, we will tell everything to that person, including criticizing the person because you love that person so much. And you are supposed to take that criticism very seriously. I mean, I have my closest friends in my life. I mean, they won't tell me Maharaj Kijai every time they saw me. <laughs> Many times they will sit me, and I will hear, and they will have to tell me what they have to tell me. But there, since I know that's come from their an unconditional heart of friendship, even for the ego, it may be like a slap, one slapping after another, and you know? one has to be intelligent to understand. No, there's here I'm receiving a very extraordinary form of affection. So I have to be willing to take that, as painful as that may be. If it's painful, it means it's reaching some, some real place it has to reach. So in the same way, we, 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 are, we, we should give ourselves permission to see things that we are seeing. And like I was sharing today in one morning podcast, we had one quote from Chaitanya Tritamrita, which basically said, if you know that certain things are not correct, you witness that and you don't do nothing, that's you acquire a certain percentage of the sinful reaction of that Mm. so if you know that abuse is going on and you become you silence yourself because of that somehow you become accomplice to that so that's a a universal principle basically so we remain truthful Mm. remember that's one of the four regulative principles it's not just don't go to the casino Truthfulness is not just not gambling. That's, that's easy. I don't gamble. I'm really truthful. I mean, there's no limit to how truthful we can be. And we may begin not gambling, but the scope of that has no end. And one of the expressions of truthfulness is this one. If I know that something is not truth, not correct, I have to do something about it. I'm not saying you have to protest and make always some external expression of that, but how you are harmonizing that inside your heart. Because if we compromise our integrity, we start to become part of what the Bhagavatam condemns in the very first verse, or second verse. First verse will be an invocation, but the second verse is, Dharma prajito kaitabotra paramot nirmatsana, Dharma prajito ka, Dharma prajito kaitava, this verse is called the Bhastanir Desh Shloka of the Srimad Vahata, which means the verse in which the whole essence of the treatise is encapsulated in one single verse. So that's the verse, Bhagavatam 112. And the very first thing it says, Dharma praita which is like a continuation with the conclusion of the Gita, Sarva dharman Parityaja. Now comes Sarva kaitava, and adds the word kaitava. Kaitava means cheating. So the Vahata said, this book is... Not about cheating at all. On the contrary, in other words, if you, if we choose to somehow not be truthful enough, in that same proportion, we won't be able to understand the same about. Because Bhagavan is a book written for satam. Satam means those who are honest. Indeed, the word sadhu means comes from satam. Sad from sad. Sad means truth. So sadhu means. Someone who is honest, basically. Even if you are ill-behaved, at least you be honest with that. That's the very point that Krishna makes in the Gita. Apichetsuduracharo, and so on. He says, even if some of my devotees behave very badly, not achar, but durachar, which means bad behavior, and sudurachar, which means very bad behavior, but if at least you are sincere and honest in acknowledging your bad behavior, oh, Krishna says, for me, he's a saint. Mm-hmm. For me, he's a sadhu. He uses the word sadhu. Why sadhu? Because he's honest about his present condition. So being a sadhu begins with being honest, with being truthful. When we speak about sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha is not a social gathering only. No sadhu sangha means Let's be honest with one another. That's real sadhu sangha. Let's be honest with one another. Sangha also means attachment in the Gita. The word sangha means attachment, and sadhu will mean again implies honesty. So you could say sadhu sangha means attachment to honesty. That's a very different probably idea of what we have like when we say sadhu sangha. Hmm. <laughs> we went talking the other day like having darshan. We say let's have darshan, some type of thing. Let's see which are the deity's outfits today, but actually, darshan means let's stand naked in front of the absolute and allowed to be seen by him through the eyes of unconditional love. That's darshan. It's not just let's take a picture of the, today's outfits, which is okay; it's perfect, no problem with that. <laughs> but let's not forget the deeper meaning of these words, because if not, all of our Godia glossary becomes like mechanical. Sadhu Sangha, Kirtan, Prasad, but we lose sight of the depth and the reach and the meaning of each one of these words. And sadhu Sangha could be translated as let's become attached to remain honest to one another. That's Sadhu Sangha. Not let's meet one another and fake it till you make it, so to say, you know? and create some social facade so nobody has to see what, what actually is going on in each other's heart. That's not Sadhu Sangha. <laughs> So anyhow, there is place for this constructive criticism between ourselves and in connection to the present condition of our community. That's the symptom of love. And Of course, for constructive criticism to happen, I have to be first of all, sure that what I'm seeing through my constructive criticism is not my own problem that I'm projecting outside. Of course, before seeing anything negative, I should see something positive. That's kind of a rule of thumb. And also I I should ask myself, what is my intention in critiquing something or anyone? Is there a positive intention? And finally, if I tell you or anyone, I feel there's something to change, and this is not my projection, it's something that I objectively find needs to be changed. I commit myself to support Those who I I am criticizing. If if I tell you, I don't know, Archon City, cd with all respect and affection I have for you, I have something to tell you. I've thought a few days, it's not my own thing. I have my own thing, but in this case, it's your thing. (laughs) I'm just giving an example. It's not the real truth. The actual stuff I will speak with here in private. So... There's this issue that I consider it will be good for you to work on. But again, the, the important thing at the end is, and um, if you consider I'm correct what I'm pointing, you can count of me in your own attempt to work on that. You are not alone in that. It's not that. Let's. You have to change this. So here you have it, and good luck. And I leave, and I leave you with the extra baggage. That's not commitment to constructive criticism. So for criticism to be really constructive and make full circle. There has to be commitment on our parts mm-hmm. uh, to grow and to connect with each other in a healing way. Mm-hmm. Our, our community, like any community, but I will speak mostly for our community. Uh, and when I say our community, just to make it clear, I'm not pointing here to any particular institution or mission, I am talking about the larger Go vaishnava of Society. There is lots of healing that is required on so many levels, so many layers to heal our own humanity, to see, to heal the way we conceive some things, to clarify, understand the way some things have happened in the past. So we can also pass to newer and newer generations uh, the result of the things that we have solved in the present. So that's one last point I want to mention briefly before concluding that also Prandan mentioned, invited me to share a few words about the importance of solving our own traumas so we don't pass them to the next generation, which is a topic I mentioned in my book, using a few words in terms of sometimes if we as elders, I mean, I don't consider myself an elder, but let's say someone is an elder, and it's supposed to pass something to the next generation. The idea is that the elder will pass a, a, a healed, healed, something that has been healed, a healed product, so to say, not further unresolved trauma, because the new generation had their own unresolved trauma to deal with. So on in, in, top of that, the elders are passing whatever they have not resolved to the new generation, that's not very kind, to say the least. <laughs> So, the duty of any generation is let's try to deal with whatever challenges we have to face. So, we can leave, give the next generation something more refined, more polished, more mature, more salt. And we do not end up passing unresolved trauma in the name of parampara, which sometimes can happen. I have had some personal experience of that uh, without need to enter into the details, but in relation to some elders which unfortunately didn't behave as such because elder doesn't only mean I have 75 years old and was initiated five decades ago. I mean, elder has to be to do with the maturity of heart. And, And when someone is an elder, when someone is an authority figure or someone, of course, what to speak is a guru, there is sometimes a tendency, of course, that we and in a natural way, sometimes we tend to look upon that like reverence and sometimes we tend to absolutize what's coming from that direction. And there's a great delicate commitment in that exchange because if I'm giving someone to my juniors, so to say, and I know that my juniors are absolutizing whatever comes from me, <laughs> I should be very careful of what I'm giving because I may be giving some unresolved trauma that I have. I'm probably... That new generation in their naivety will absolutize that and see that as divine revelation. Well, actually, it's my unresolved trauma. And they will receive it with good intention. But after some time, well, there is something that is not working here. But that was divine revelation. It was no, that was unresolved trauma. <laughs> and we were not able to, to grasp it. And again, nobody had bad intention, it's just how it happened. <clears throat> sometimes we need to solve a few issues on a human level for example mm-hmm. healing our humanity is not Maya healing our emotions and psychology is part of the integration we need to do as devotees mm-hmm. it's not that you have a spiritual practice here and human life here, they are not opposites mm-hmm. they are not two different paths so to say Actually, the two of them have to become one fully integrated, because the goal of our life is to serve Krishna in Nara-lila. Nara-lila means fully human and fully divine at the same time. So how can you enter a place that is fully human if you are neglecting your humanity here to be with? So we have to address our human issues as part of our bhakti project in the service of our, of our goal. So one last reading before concluding you have permission from Pranava? she's getting impatient <laughs> yes be honest sadhu sadhu means honesty
2: <laughs>
1: so it says like this just a few words and with this i'm concluding it says like this if we as a community avoid transfiguring our sorrow the reshaping of it into an integrated and more mature version of itself, we may end up transmitting those undigested heartaches, not only to our immediate peers, but in particular to our next generation. The duty of the present generation is to allow the future generations to deal with their own traumas and not to pass on unresolved issues, adding to their already complex baggage. The rule here will be transform it or transmit it. In our present times, perhaps because of a rapid decline in recognizing generational responsibility, there is an emergence or emergency of members of the younger generations expressing their unwillingness to swallow the generational trauma of their progenitors. They have plenty of their own generational trauma to deal with. The Sanskrit term parampara refers to the passing down of wisdom and new revelation from one generation to the next. In fact, we could extend the implications of this idea and say that any wisdom imparted through paramphora is partly the result of the elders' resolved traumas, their acquired experience and maturity, extended to younger representatives, so they are better equipped to tackle and integrate their own generational issues. Following this line of thought, We could then say that one of the meanings and implications of parampara is that the new generation will ideally receive the resolved trauma of their elders so they can better deal with their own unresolved trauma. Conversely, parampara is not the passing of elders unresolved trauma to their descendants. By belonging to any tradition, we surely inherit both treasure and trouble. But we are morally obligated to pass on the least amount of trouble and pay forward the most amount of wisdom we can. If we are greedy for the strength of wisdom that comes from our ancestors, but unwilling to provide that to those who follow us, good luck. <laughs> so that's basically our commitment. In each of us as Godia ambassadors, as representatives of the tradition, trying to ascertain what's the present side gaze, what the present climate of the times uh, and what what service is required Mm -hmm. for us as a community, to offer to the community. And I'm sure Krishna will inspire each of us in our heart to invoke the necessary transformations that need to take place for Krishna consciousness to remain a a relevant reality, a relatable reality. Mm -hmm. Not, Not only for new people, not only let's keep Krishna consciousness relevant, for the newcomers, as a preaching strategy, let's keep Krishna consciousness relevant for us who are practicing Krishna consciousness to begin with. So that's a daily question: How does the, pra- the practice of practice is relevant and relatable to me mm-hmm. every single day of our lives? That's our introspection or meditation. Mm-hmm. So this is part of the invitation to continue growing as persons. Going back to the title and concluding here: How much of a Is there a limit to how much of a personalist we can become? Of course, no, (laughs) there's no limit to how much of a personalist we can become. Um, And that's what I call radical personalism, basically. On a daily basis, to try to address these pressing issues, begin at home as a person and extending that to whatever may be required in our community. So I didn't want to extend myself that much, sorry for that and um, we have some time for questions, pranada Yes, please. Okay, so pranada is inviting some time, some minutes. If anyone has any questions you may like to present, you can raise your hand. Jatari Prabhu. Jai.
3: What years did you uh,
1: write this book? What year did it... Which year? Or is it a
3: multi-year task or how is it? a lot of you
1: been at the book yeah that was pretty fast I will say in this case yeah I, I started like in November December and it ended up like it being written like in March or March So it was like three four months it was I was not expecting I mean I was not expecting to write this book at all. I have another book in mind and but Krishna had in mind some other plans for me, and a few things happened in my life during the last month. So, a book came as a result of that as well. So, yeah. So
3: you know, your your book, these things that you're addressing, are things that you see in kind of in a very current in, in, our, in our very current situation. In the,
1: yeah. The, of course, it's my my opinion. I'm not trying here to establish this as conclusive or the absolute truth of like this is the last word about what, what we are talking today. It's just one aspect of an ongoing conversation that I consider we should be having daily. Uh, and I would say it's mostly, <clears throat> yeah, my own attempt to present Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Krishna Bhakti in a way that at least remains relatable and relevant to me to begin with. Because yeah. Some, sometimes in life we go through certain tests and situations in which we need to reconfigure how do I continue practicing bhakti in a way that really makes sense in a deep way. I don't want to practice bhakti mechanically, externally. I mean, that's Niyama, Graha, Rupa Goswami says, if you want to ruin your bhakti, then do this. And he gives a six-fold formula to ruin your bhakti, so to say. I mean, he's not proposing to ruin your bhakti, but just preventing you. And one of them is graha, which basically means you are doing something without the clear motivation of why you are doing that something. If you multiply that one day per after day, per week, per month, per year, at one point you have no clue why you are doing what you are doing. Or maybe you think you know, and you are just doing what you are doing for the wrong motivations, not the right ones. <laughs> So that's what I mentioned at the beginning of the book. For me, the main concern here is how to stay as a Gaudiya Avaishna. How to stay as a Gaudi Vaishnava. Because like I, said, I can say, I can stay as a Gaudi I didn't leave Gaudi Avaishna. Great. But how you stay as a Gaudi We can stay for the wrong reasons. And that's not the idea, of course. But... <laughs> And there are many wrong reasons, and there are many beautiful reasons to stay, of course. So, we, we should be expert in remaining as devotees for the right reasons. So, anyhow, someone raised the hand in the back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking
2: about this uh, concept of personalism and impersonalism. And in my mind, you know, I kind of conflate that spectrum with the sort of like. Oneness and duality spectrum, right? Um, so, personalism would be like on the duality side of the spectrum of uh, this. And, uh, I was wondering if you could maybe clarify a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Like duality and oneness and personalism and personalism. Okay. Like, an exceptionally personal thing relates to like this. Research-
1: Hmm, okay. Yeah, what's your name, sir? Danny. Danny? Okay, Danny's inviting me to a whole separate lecture. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate that because that's a very important topic. And I will try to speak as much as I can because it deserves a, its own separate lecture. And actually, we did one of those a few days ago. For those who would like to see it in more detail, last Sunday, I gave a lecture called Non-Dual Gaudiya Vedanta. And basically, we talk about what you asked. So, I will mention a few words. So, radical personalism, if we want to talk about impersonalism, personalism, unity, duality. Yeah, our philosophy is Achintabeda Veda, as you mentioned. So, Achintabeda Veda, Veda Tattva means, in very simple words, reality is one and different. There's only Krishna. In one sense, there's the Aveda side of the equation is there's only Krishna. There's nothing apart from there's only Krishna. Of course, some of you say that sounds imperson- impersonal. But it's not, in one sense. It's half of our equation. There's nothing that exists separately from Krishna. Everything is Krishna in the sense everything is an energy of Bhagavan, And all those energies cannot exist separate from him. And of course, the Veda side, the different side is, yeah, there are different energies, Maya Shakti, Tatastha Shakti, Swarup Shakti, and each one of us are individuals and so on and so forth. But our diversity is sustained by a foundation of unity. So ultimately, reality is non-dual. Our tradition is non-dual also. It's not that only impersonalism is non-dual, because we hear non-dual and we think, oh, that's impersonal. Well, if you go to the Srimad Bhagavatam, one of the most foundational verses that I quoted in the class the other day, that's a very important verse in the Bhagavatam. And that verse describes reality as non-dual consciousness, advai-gyam. So advai means non-dual. So the Bhagavatam is saying reality is non-dual. Non-dual means there's nothing that exists separate from that. That reality doesn't depend on anything else, and everything else depends on that. Mm. But there's nothing separate. Everything is founded, connected with that non-dual foundation. But on the basis of that non-dual foundation, there is diversity. Mm. Because if we only speak about diversity without considering a non-dual foundation, that diversity will amount to dualism. But mm. our philosophy is non-dualistic. philosophy is non-dualistic, but it's a type of qualified non-dualism. Sorry if I'm becoming too technical. The topic requires something of that. Uh, Advaita Vedanta, or what we may call impersonalism, is non-dualism, but that's a radical (laughs) non-dualism. We have radical personalism, but impersonalism is radical non-dualism, because for them, reality is non-dual, To the core, there's only Brahman. Personalists will say, there's only Brahman. Nothing else exists. Nothing. The only real thing is Brahman. And I say, but the world, and me as a person, and the glass, and this tatrushka whatever was the name. (laughs) No, no, no. That's all Maya. That's all a magic perception of reality. Ultimately, the only one real thing is Brahman. So they really are reductionists to the core in that sense non-dual in that sense, our tradition is non-dual, but qualified, nuanced. That's why we call it Veda Veda Tatram. So there is place for non-duality, for unity, because everything is connected to Krishna, nothing is separate from him. In that sense, Krishna is everything. Krishna is the world, Krishna is everything. That's, there are many statements in Shastra in the Bhagavad, and the Bhagavatam which describe all the things that may sound impersonal, for some that this is personalistic, but no, that's about them, making that point. The whole world is not different from Krishna because it's one of his shaktis. That's the, how that's how basically the Bhagavatam begins. Sukadev Goswami describes the Perekse de Then we build up upon that till we reach Rasa Lila, Krishna Lila, Braja Lila. But first you are in the world, learn to see the world as Krishna, in some way or not, as connected to Krishna, as a manifestation of Krishna. Let's begin in the immediacy of where you are now. If you don't learn to see the world in connection to God, don't expect to enter Rasa-lila. So to say that's basically the idea of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Bhagavatam is not given Rasa-lila so we escape from the world. So we ne- neglect our connection with matter. Oh, Bhagavatam teaches us, learn to see matter <clears throat> as sacred. Because it's connected with Bhagavan. Nothing is separate from Bhagavan. That's a very, for me, that's an extraordinary meditation. Just everything is connected with Krishna. Nothing, even in science, that's totally confirmed. Everything is interrelated. Quantum physics shows that. Nothing is separated. Everything is interconnected with everything. We will say the same. Sambanda means that. Sambanda. Banda means Sambanda means connected. some means everything. Everything is connected. So we have a few words. For more of that, you can go to that class given last Sunday on non-dual go development. Any other a question? <clears throat> yes. So you're know, speaking about how our personal relationships are so important.
2: And I'm wondering if we open ourselves to do personal relationships with other devotees it's very likely that we're going to get into situations where, you know, issues or conflicts arise. And it can be painful and it can be difficult to try and deal with just the people who we're trying to be close with. And I'm wondering, I mean, how much should we continue to try and be vulnerable and be open to working through these issues and it may be difficult because sometimes not all of us or not many people actually have good uh, skills with dealing with emotions and dealing with issues Mm -hmm. so how much should we continue to accept that as part of what it means to try and have personal relationships Mm -hmm. or should we take it as a sign that well maybe I'm misstepping here Maybe I, I need to
3: this or interact differently.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much. Great question. I kind of tried to address that in, in one chapter of the book. I think it's chapter eight called vulnerability and empowerment. So I talked a lot about vulnerability there because it's so important. And that's not a very sometimes popular word, word in our vocabulary. <laughs> but vulnerability is it's, it's not synonymous with weakness, but it's synonymous with strength and empowerment, if expressed in the proper environment. Because, of course, if we express vulnerability without boundaries, that lends itself to abuse. And that's in part to what you mentioned. It's not, a, okay, let's be vulnerable with everyone and let's just open, tear apart our heart and present ourselves. because. Not everyone knows, to, knows what to do with your vulnerability. And, and, and that I mentioned also in my chapter on issues and tissues between guru and disciple. That the guru, the, the, one of the adhikars or the qualification that the guru should have is he or she should know, he or she, just in case, should know <laughs> what to do with the vulnerability of the disciple. Because the duty of the disciple is to be vulnerable, to be open, to be sincere, to be transparent, to be vulnerable in front of the guru. Not like a forced thing, but ideally the nature of their relationships should be that. So the the disciple is vulnerable, but the guru knows what to do with that vulnerability. If you don't know, if you are not expert in that, you can trample on the disciple's vulnerability And that can end up in very complex scenarios. Trauma, abuse in different forms, even without having any bad intention of abuse, but it can end up being abuse. So yeah, when I'm talking about being personalist to the core and so on, I'm not promoting a type of brainless, like passionate thing, like let's talk to everyone, be open and personal and be vulnerable. Of course, we may start with that enthusiasm and then we realize oops, not everyone is willing to do that or not everyone is capable to do that. And then you start to discern how to do that in a way that is is helping As you, to me, as you mentioned, maybe I'm misstepping, maybe, I'm, maybe like rushing too much into too many directions, but at the end of the day, I also need to express my vulnerability to someone. I need to be deeply personal, at least to one person. <laughs> So, I'm not saying this, try this with every single person around the world and it will work perfectly. No, let's be realistic. Uh, But at least we should not lose hope, so to say, and think, I've tried this, I tried here, I tried, didn't work, didn't work, this is not for me. Being vulnerable is not for me, being personal is not for me, so I will close the chamber of my heart. So I stop being abused, stop suffering. But at it may feel like a relief for a moment, but after a few minutes, you feel that's not the final solution. I need to experience that intimacy with someone. So, still, we have to do, and it may feel as a risk. So, we have to take some risk also. That's what life is about. Of course, not with without discrimination at all, but it can happen. I mean, I think all of us, I, I want to invite you to to share with you your unauthorized biography. <laughs> but I think each of us could be sharing hours about your own experience. And I think all of us have gone through to, through this type of dynamics, but we open, we try to relate and some something happened. And I'm not saying we are always the victim. You know, sometimes we may, we may be those who are not so expert in dealing with the other person's personalism or vulnerability. And we, we may end up hurting them without bad intention, but doing that. And that's a painful but necessary lesson. I mean, I'm not promoting masochism, but sometimes suffering is, is required. I mean, it's not that it has to be avoided at all costs. I mean, there's lots of learning and suffering. Again, I'm not promoting suffering for suffering's sake, but it's unavoidable that we suffer. So the goal is not so much Let's try to see how we can stop suffering, but let's try to see how we can learn to suffer. That's not the same. Stop suffering, learn to suffer. If you learn to suffer, oof. I mean, generally the biggest insights and challenges come from the moments, the most difficult moments. I mean, or Shasta portrayed that. Krishna was, Arjuna was not in his comfort zone in Kurukshetra chariot. That was not an easy scenario for him. Pariksit Maharaj, you have seven days to live. That's not precisely comfort zone either. (laughs) And all these great messages come in the midst of all this complexity. So yeah, we are not to avoid that, but I will say we are to use some discernment and and of course try to take care of our own dignity and integrity. We are not to lend ourselves to abuse, but also not to the extreme of cancelling the function of our heart, so to say, in the, in the name of prevention. <laughs> so each one has to find their middle point in that connection. I'm just, of course, sharing a general idea. Each particular case is, is unique, right? and I will say that, yeah. Something else? Your prana cancel me whenever we are ready or it's too late. Shall we have
0: Prasadam? Other you ask them
1: I don't take percent at night so they are to reply okay, to your question there's any, any any final question before yeah, Over here. yeah
3: sorry to hog the show here but, um, I was uh, I, I was talking with some devotees one day and we were talking about um, you know the upheaval in the political situations of the world and, which also means, you know, people have interpolitical <laughs> things going on between each other too. But so one devotee said he said, well actually actually um, we're all we're all uh, Krishna's children. So you know we were talking about economics and politics. He so one devotee said, well actually um, we're, we're if your father is very rich, you're like a, 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 trust fund baby, you know? So you don't have to worry about m- money problems, you know? And then they said, so, so in essence, you know, we, we can fret all about things within ISKCON society or Godia Vaishnava society and, and think, um, oh, why is this happening? You know, or we can just say, well, you know, um, we have to trust. So, I mean, is that a is that a valid way to to um, deal with upheavals so that maybe we don't uh, traumatize maybe um, a previous generation or a or a generation that goes in front of us? I mean, mm-hmm. is that is that being personal? You know, thinking Krishna's
1: taking care of me and guiding me? Well, it can be tricky because (laughs) this idea of Krishna is guiding and protecting me sometimes can be abused also. like I, I am under the wing of Krishna. He's giving me mercy. So I don't need to do anything because I have to trust him. Yeah, I have to trust him, but he also wants us to do something. As I mentioned before, I mean, we have to trust Krishna. I'm not against that principle at all, (laughs) but he wants to trust in us, so to say. So we have to become trustworthy to him, so to say, by acting in certain situations. So I think that, and of course, each one will feel their own call in their own way. I'm not saying with this, each one of us should be doing exactly the same thing in relation to what we find to happen in our society And I mean each one will find, will receive a particular inspiration from one place or another but as I mentioned before no if, if we know that certain things are not working as beautifully as they could I think for some reason I remember once I went to a temple <laughs> I think this was a trick they had and I entered I went to the restroom and there was I was in the bathroom and there was a sign that said, If you see the mess in this room, Krishna is showing that to you, so you can help with that. And of course, the restaurant was a total mess. (laughs) (laughs) I always remember that, no? Like, I can play, okay, if Krishna is showing you, allowing you to see certain degree of messiness, he wants you to do something with what you are seeing, to take responsibility. Again, if you are, again, going back to the same example I gave before, you're in a house and you know in the next room next to mine there has someone is being raped i mean the reply to give an extreme example sorry uh i don't think the reply is i'll trust krishna everything is perfect no i have i have some i have something to do because i know that's going on so immediately by being aware of the situation of abuse i'm becoming implied in the situation and I have to take some stance and responsibility So I will say, by extension, in our Gaudia family, if we know some situations like that, we become implied in a good sense of the term. That's not bad news. (laughs) We are invited to increase our responsibility. I know that's not a very popular word, but it's a very crucial one. Responsibility. Divide the word response, ability. Which ability do you have to respond to certain particulars, that's responsibility, I'm not speaking about guilt, or you are responsible of that, I'm meaning, responsibility, something is happening, how do I, how how able I am to reply to whatever is going on, that's a very important way, and of course, we trust Krishna, we put ourselves in his shelter, but that's not a passive act, it's not like, okay, now I'm Devotees, so Krishna has saved me, so I can lie on my sofa here. Krishna is so nice and so beautiful and so merciful that he will do everything that I should actually be doing myself. (laughs) But he's so merciful that he will do that himself. That's not praise to Krishna. But it's delicate because on many occasions we can end up like uh, masking uh, our mediocrity in the form of praise. Oh, Krishna, you are so beautiful and merciful that you are doing everything that I, so I don't need to do anything. I just, whatever, take prasanna. (laughs) Which is what we will be doing in a few minutes. But but no, Krishna wants us to be uh, response, response ability people, so to say, to have an ability to reply to whatever he's sending in our generation. And it's important. Even though we may not be able to change everything because some I've heard about telling me, well, Maharaj, but those things will be always ha- will always be happening. Okay, probably, but it doesn't mean that I have just to resign myself to okay or someone tell me, well, it's Kali Yuga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so those types of one-liners can be very dangerous because anything can be justified. It's Kali Yuga, so don't complain too much. It's it's supposed to happen. But by saying that, you are fostering that to continue happening more and more. Even if it will continue happening, I will try to do my best for that not to happen, at least in my life, in my immediate circle. And Hopefully that creates some influence in others and gradually between, among all ourselves. We can heal as much as we can, whatever needs to be healed in our, in our genealogical tree, so to say. <laughs> Again, in service to the Godus and Prada, this is, not, this is not in rebellion or, or an act of anarchy, but hopefully in, in deep service, because we want to deeply belong to this. You no, know, we, we just don't, not just merely want to fit in somehow, but to deeply belong. So, Anyhow, thank you so much to all of you for your attention, your presence, and to Pranada Nagaraj for invitation. So I don't know. How this follows now?
0: Now it's time for Prasadam. So mm-hmm. please come for Prasadam. And Maharaj has two books and they're both available here if you'd like to see Bhakti Rasa. But they're on the table if you want to kick at them while you're here. And uh, please come for Prasadam.
1: Jai. Gaur, Hari, Haribo.